Hey everybody, and welcome to Well Said, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's podcast, where we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's going on on campus and around the world. And today we're talking about the keys to better learning with Brian Cardiff, a doctoral student in the Learning Sciences and Psychological Studies program at the UNC School of Education. Before enrolling in this program at Carolina, you were a high school chemistry teacher for many years. So what made you want to leave that behind and come to Carolina to study the learning sciences? Well, I think because I saw so much impact on my students, most of them wanted to learn, but either the environment wasn't facilitative of that or what I created of the environment wasn't, or they didn't have strategies to enact that would help them to learn efficiently. There were there were lots of different reasons. I like that the learning sciences is very scientific in its approach to. It is very much along the natural sciences in, you know, look at a problem, try and design some experiments or what we call design-based research to analyze how to solve that and enact it and see what, what comes of it. You recently wrote about what you considered the keys to better learning. And these are some things that the field of the learning sciences have uncovered in the past years. So from your scientific perspective, looking at all this research, what are some of the big keys to better learning? Well, I I think one important idea is to get away from things that handicap us. So one of the issues that we talked about was getting away from the idea of learning styles. And that's the idea that I'm a visual learner, so you should teach me keeping that in mind and only teach me in a visual sense. This is an idea that's gained quite a bit of traction in education It's one of many what we call neuromyths. It's been influenced by neuroscience, but unfortunately there's no research that bears it out. But schools and educators hear it, and there's such an emphasis on differentiation in the classroom now where teachers are supposed to meet students where they are that this kind of keys into that. And teachers think, well, this is good. I can can meet students with their learning style. But we find that that doesn't help people learn, that we learn – when ideas are approached in a multimodal way that that we're presented information and concepts in in many different forms. So we need to make sure that we're not buying into these neuromyths that may uh, handicap us. The the left brain, right brain one is an issue with that too. There's no such thing as somebody who's left brain and logical and analytical or somebody who's right brain. There are some differentiated spaces in our brain where we may, you know, have language centered in one particular place, but there's connections throughout our brains, and so we are not really left-brained or right-brained in any sense of the way. Some of the other things that we talked about were, were strategies. So most students, and, and this is true of, of most college students and even graduate students as well, tend to do what we call mass practice. So they either cram or they study one particular topic or concept a lot at one time. And we find that that can be really effective for a test the next day or two days later. But a week later, they've they've lost a lot of what they were supposed to remember or understand. And so we find that distributed or spaced practice where they study in smaller increments but over longer periods of time are far more effective in the long run. Now, some studies have shown that the test the next day or a short-term outcome may not be as favorable for that. So we're not saying to get rid of mass practice completely, but distributed practice is much better in the long run. And so it's it's things along that. One, one idea that we didn't talk about was interleaving, which is the idea it's better to mix up 
practice, not practice all of the same type of problem or concept. And so this has been shown in, in studies on things like beanbag tossing. So if you want to be really good at beanbag tossing, don't always practice from the same distance. It seems odd because those of us who play cornhole or something like that are always at the same distance. But if you practice at different distances, you get better at all distances rather than just, uh, you know, the one. One of the other things that you wrote about was the importance of having a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset. What do you mean by that? What is a growth mindset and what is a fixed mindset and how does that impact learning? This is such an integral part of learning and it's it's something that I, I don't know why it has taken us so long to key on. So a fixed mindset is simply if I can't do something right away, then I'm not going to be able to do it well. So in case of academic learning, it's if I don't learn how to do these math problems right away, then I'm not very smart and I'm not going to be able to learn them. And we find that a lot of students have this academically. Now, it's interesting, these students who have these beliefs academically don't tend to have them in athletics. So nobody goes out and says, I'm going to be able to hit this fastball that's going 95 miles an hour the first time. We all realize that we have to practice over time. But academically, it's especially in, in countries like the United States, we tend to emphasize people being smart. And if they're smart, they pick up on things quickly. And so we find that people, if they struggle, and everybody really does when they're trying to learn something new, that they have a tendency to give up or don't work as effectively as they could because they don't see themselves as being capable or able to. So fostering a growth mindset is this idea that you can do or be successful just about anything you want to learn, but you may run into some struggles where you have to enact some different strategies, and that may be trying different techniques to learn things or remember them or asking for help. Asking for help is, again, sometimes seen as a weakness, but it is really knowing when to ask for help and knowing how to ask for help can be really beneficial to learning. And so the growth mindset fosters this idea that effort is needed to do things well and that, you know, we, we want people to be praising their children or praising their students for doing that effort and, and for taking the risk of trying to do well. We find that when we praise people, and Carol Dweck at Stanford is the uh, one of the major people behind this idea, we find that when we praise people for trying hard and for putting in the effort and for enacting different strategies, that they tend to stay with things a lot longer and be more successful academically. What do these approaches to learning actually look like in the classroom? Well, you know, the learning styles uh, idea is is just recognition. So this got a lot of play. There's a lot of what's called brain-based research out there, you know, available to teachers. It's not really brain-based. It's been interpreted from neuroscience. Neuroscience is a descriptive science of how the brain works. It's not a prescriptive one, but people have tried to flip it into one. So I think a lot of teachers are just unaware because there's so much of it out in the world and on the internet that there's not a lot of support for it. So more and more researchers have been coming forth and uh, trying to bridge that idea that there's there's not a lot of research that supports it. As far as actual strategies like distributed practice, teachers have encouraged students to do this for long periods of time, but they, they tend to encourage students to do it on their own, but they don't model it in classrooms. So, so you know, distributed practice, if I was teaching chemistry and I was trying to have students 
balance equations. You know, if I was doing mass practice, I might have them do that for 30 minutes in one class and then quiz them the next day. But if I was doing it distributed practice, I might have them balance, you know, five minutes the first day or maybe 10 minutes the first day and five minutes the next day and then skip a couple of days and then have them do, you know, five minutes that day. And so you kind of start with a longer period of time, but then you spread it out and you start skipping days. And then over time, the idea that they have to recall what they're going to do strengthens their ability to do that and strengthens their, their ability to carry out either the task or remember the concept or make connections between concepts. So are these keys to learning as useful to, say, a third grader as they are to a senior in college, or do they vary throughout the education process? Yeah, now obviously it's, it may be differentiated as far as certain strategies, but the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset is, is very important basically at all ages. We do find that younger children you know, may not be as fixed in their thought process just because they haven't been in an environment where they're praised or, or reinforced one way or another. But, but yeah, we do want to foster it at all levels. And it does seem to have an effect uh, based on the research that's been done at, at basically every level of school and truthfully outside of school as well. We've talked about how teachers can bring these keys into their classrooms to help their students learn better. But what about in college when you could be one of 100 in a class and it's kind of on the student to learn? How can a college student work these keys into their own learning processes? I think that goes back to the the idea of self-regulated learning. You know, most students, when they go to study, they they don't plan particularly well. And I, you know, I call myself uh, on the carpet for this as well. So we have a tendency, okay, I'm going to study my biology. I've got a test coming up in a few days. I'm going to study that for two hours. Well, right off the bat, that's not a good plan because time is not an indicative of you understanding uh, something. So coming up with, first of all, what do you need to learn? What do you need to understand? What do you need to be able to do? Isolating those and then making a plan to achieve those. Or you could have a long-term plan, which is good. I want to get an A on the test and then work your way backwards. Okay, in order to get an A on the test, I need to understand this particular concept and this particular concept. In order to do those, I need to study this concept in approach it in these ways. So it, it is a way of planning. And then the strategy, you know, we, we have a tendency to study the same way for lots of different things. And so I taught a course that we offer here at UNC that's called the Science of Learning, where we, where we uh, go over a lot of this. But uh, so students, I, I always ask them what their strategies are, and they go, oh, I do flashcards. And I go, well, okay, what do you do flashcards for? Everything. Well, learning you know, certain concepts and, and ideas or how to interpret literature, flashcards aren't going to work for that. Well, I reread uh, what I read before or I read my notes. Well, those are really passive kind of strategies. And so we don't want students to just reread what they've already read because that leads to what we call illusions of competence. They, they see something that they recognize and they think that they understand it or that they can remember it many times they don't. So self-testing is a really good strategy, not looking at your notes but trying to recall it. Now this, you know, I seem seem to be emphasizing recall. You know, there's a lot more to, to understanding and learning than recall, but we have to be able to recall things in order to learn them at a deeper level as well. So self-testing works. Uh, 
far better than just about everything else, predicting the types of, of questions that we might see on assessments and then trying to, without looking at any resources, trying to figure out what we would say in response to that. And then you can go to resources and see if that response makes sense. Uh, but just enacting different strategies that actually match your goals and then monitoring. Okay, am I actually learning this? Uh, is this strategy actually working? Uh, but if, if your goal was to study for two hours and you study for two hours and you never think about, do I know this? Do I understand it? Could I be able to answer these questions? Then you're going to say, well, I met my goal and I'm all ready, but you're really not. So, you know, it's, it's a mindful kind of practice and it's not easy to do. It uses, uh, uses up much of our cognitive load in order to be able to, to do these kind of things. But once you practice it for a while, even the process becomes more facilitated. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. And don't forget to check back to unc.edu next week for another episode of Well Said or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Android apps.